episode of the My Zen Brain Podcast. I am your host, Andy. And today I have with me one of my good friends in, in recovery. He's a fellow in recovery. He's a fellow writer. He's a fellow bibliophile. He, we, we have many things in common, including our, our tendency to flake out sometimes. <laughs> Guilty as charged uh, on I, all counts. I, I, <laughs> just, I just wanted to put that on the record so I could, uh, I could claim that I'm not uh, uh, can, uh, candying my guests. How are you, Todd? <laughs> Great, Andy. Yeah, I'll, I'll confess now that I did flake out twice, but, uh, <laughs> but not, not thrice, my man. No, so, no. <laughs> you know, uh, my, my sponsor says when you fail, he says survive and advance. So right. that's why we're here, brother. Well, and your your sponsor is actually uh, he's on the short list of uh, of new guests. I, I don't know if I've told you the story of about me and Bill. Bill Bill was my first professional interview. Ah. Uh, long time ago, I was a freshman in high school, maybe a sophomore in high school, and I interviewed Bill. Uh, he just moved back to Omaha after this. Uh, trip out and about into the world and uh uh it was sound was the name of the magazine and heeson was uh heeson was uh the editor-in-chief and uh i interviewed i interviewed bill for that so i have i have and i i attended uh bill's ted talk a few years back so i i go back with bill a long way and he's uh i i ran into him a couple times at uh at uh, uh qli so very cool. Yeah, I know. I went to some gigs that he played out there. Yeah, yeah. we've got a lot of, I mean, what, one great thing that we could, I mean, I'll just say it's worth saying again and again is about this program is the way it connects us to other people and people in really rich ways. It resuscitates old friendships and alliances and so on. It gets you out of that weird shell and makes you realize you're part of something much bigger than yourself and much better than yourself. You know? Yeah. And that that's. I think one of the mo- we were talking uh, before the podcast about uh, about why I'm doing this. I I told I, I told Todd I I think that there is a a misconception about people who suffer from addiction about their lack of moral fortitude or their lack of morals for that matter. <laughs> Just I mean they, they they don't give a shit and it. It goes a lot deeper than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, you take some underlying sickness uh, or a societal sickness and you marinate it in booze and or drugs. And it de- you do that at first as a way to cope, as a way to transcend, as a way to uh, treat it. And then it sort of uh, pickles, you know, yeah. under the uh, endless onslaught of illness. And that feeds on new illness and so on. And right, it's not a... A moral failing, that's for sure, man. I mean, it's a, it's as we were saying before the you, the podcast. You know, it's a public health issue and it's a mental health issue, and it should be treated seriously but compassionately. And as you also said, it's universal and yeah. ubiquitous, and 
I think, you know, when the program first started, it was so long ago, 30s or whatever. I'm no expert on that. that Going history. on 100 years. Okay, yeah, right. I mean, that was, that was a much more buttoned-up time in terms of talking about, you know, personal failings or right. what have you, uh, vulnerability and so on. And so, especially in that kind of buttoned-down business class, right, that would be bad for business to admit that you're, a, you know, no good drunk or whatever, sure. right? Uh, so... Now we are a much more confessional culture. Um, and, you know, some people criticize that, but I think the, the one reason we're more confessional and more open is because we, we need help that maybe we're not getting, you know? I mean, we're a little more fragmented or isolated or we're putting up the, these masks that, that sort of suggest that we're happy and healthy and successful. But I think ask anyone who's half honest at all and they'll be like yeah i just i just that's what i want people to think you know but right. inside i'm it's kind of a minefield it's interesting that you you meant you use the word mass because i was just on facebook obviously i'm kind of an addict uh and there is the i mean the governor of texas uh just it was a complete snafu they're they're they they're out of hospital beds in in Houston, I think, or no, in Dallas, sorry. And meanwhile, he and the Attorney General of Texas are lifting, further lifting any kind of mass mandates or whatever. And it's, don't, this, this American individualism that we're so proud of is total horseshit. <laughs> Really, it is. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, again, to bring it a little bit into back into addiction and recovery, I think, right, we 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 honor and romanticize and mythologize the idea that, um, you know, I transcend your petty restrictions uh, here in taking my bong hits or drinking to till I throw up and you know, whatever, that that is freedom, that that's individual choice, right? That that is something that we have a God-given right to. But, you know, when we hack away at those interdependencies and interreliances and so on, within the family, within the community, uh, various other institutions, um, you know, we expose ourselves to a lot of harm. You know, yeah. uh, and of course, I'm I'm no big believer in many institutions. I think we need to question them, right? I'm not saying if we all just joined, we'd be fine, but but right. I guess either way, if the pendulum sort of swings too far, I think madness sort of lies there. Yeah, yeah. for sure. As you pointed out, um, with addiction specifically, uh, it it you give it an inch, and it takes a mile. Yeah, and, so true. Uh, it's that inch <laughs> once and, and, and I, I I hesitate to I, I don't want this to sound I've never wanted uh, my thinking or my message as it were to be uh, you know a, a lot of people quit smoking okay and then they just they become evangelical about smoking and how nobody should smoking how nobody should smoke and they will they will they will go to the grave just telling everyone it's like don't you realize that i probably already know how bad smoking is <laughs> i'm guessing <laughs> the jury is idea. back in all right <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's it, it, it's uh yeah it, it's just one of those things that you, you just need to take a long hard look at it and uh and decide 
what is the best way forward and your story i think i met you five years ago yeah five to six somewhere in there uh todd came to one of my regular meetings that i go to i went to with my sponsor he was uh, very zealous about being uh, in sobriety, and I now it's how long you've been sober now? Six, Six almost seven years. Almost seven years. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's yeah. and uh, so yeah. I mean, so the the topic of this episode is is the is the Todd father. <laughs> 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 and uh, I'm a victim of my own success, Andy. I, I, uh, <laughs> I'm interested. So, what were the circumstances of your life in, say, the year before? Yeah. You, wow. You uh, cleaned up. Well, that was that year was. Or uh, the, or the previous five. I mean, how yeah. it depends on how far back you want to go. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I I you know it's a year a little over. I I think um, things were getting rapidly worse. As I think uh, probably every single person who comes into the rooms <laughs> would have, that would be their general assessment, right? Like yeah. it was getting harder and harder and worse and worse. And so, what did that look like for me? I. I had struggled with esophagitis, which is a pretty typical uh, malady that alcoholics and drug addicts suffer, which is, uh, you know, I had difficulty swallowing. My esophagus was inflamed. And so that was a big problem that I had told no one about for a long time because I was afraid if I was honest about that, they'd want me to curtail my drinking and drug use. (laughs) And we certainly didn't want that. (laughs) So uh, I'd also... um, you know, I'd also had uh, this this atrial fibrillation. I didn't know that's what it was, but my heart was kind of going in and out of rhythm. And uh, typically late at night or rather early in the morning, you know, when the revels were kind of done and I was drinking my scotch into the toward the dawn, I'd feel this little splashy feeling in my chest that would kind of come and go. And I was like, ah, it's, maybe I have a heart murmur, undiagnosed. You know, classic move to rationalize, justify, deny. we all we all know we all know the lyrics of that song (laughs) don't we though how do we learn them separately it's interesting yeah (laughs) that's a good point (laughs) so you know these and actually i could go a little further back these had been actually problems for quite a while i think um i i don't remember the exact year but maybe maybe three years before then I had actually had my esophagus dilated surgically, like in a, uh, because it was so bad. Like I, I couldn't swallow food or uh, sometimes I couldn't breathe, you know, I, when I was drinking, but even when I wasn't, it was so damaged. And so finally I went in to see a gastroenterologist and, and I was like, I'm going to lie. I'm not going to tell them why I have this problem because once again, they're going to want me to stop doing the thing that I have to do all the time to get through the day, you know? So I told him, I smoke a cigar like once a day. <laughs> yeah. I look like a real cigar smoker, right. don't I? <laughs> I have two beers with dinner, right. you know? And, uh, and he was like, of Chardonnay. <laughs> I'm a classy guy, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not a hopeless I drunk. pour the wine into a glass <laughs> yeah, before I drink it. That's right. Pour it into a trash can, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, he, you know, dilated it, which was horrible. And he had to take a biopsy, and it was all very unpleasant. And mm. I was like, okay, 
I'm done. I'm good. And, you know, so I think for like a month, I just white knuckled it. And it was horrific. And I knew all along I was going to get back to drinking and using because I'd watch people drink and use and be like, I want to do that. I want to, even though there was a direct correlation between my deep physical distress, you know, the cause was undeniable, but I was like, give me more of that cause, man. I mean, that's, (laughs) (laughs) that's the remedy for me, you know, for my illness, my boredom, my discontent, right? So my resentment, even as it feeds every one of those, man, that's Well, your boredom and your discontent is your disease. Yes. It's, it's dealing with uh, life on life's terms, as we say. That's right, man. And I, you know, maybe we'll get back to this later. Maybe we won't. But I think that is also something in, that gets a lot better in recovery, but it's still there, you know? Sure. And if, there, if there's a difficulty in life, I mean, it often does kind of revolve around those two things. I think they are the sort of bugbears of existence for people of our persuasion, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, so that happened. Um, I was having a lot of difficulties in my marriage. I mean, I stayed employed the whole time. Um, I really loved my job. That helped. So I didn't want to lose it, you know. But I so didn't. When you were, back when you were still using, you were, you were a, a professor at the time? Or well, a teacher at the I time? I mean, do I want to <laughs> incriminate Whatever myself. you want to include, man, it's up to you. What's your audience, man? Yeah. <laughs> at, at this point, you're, you're talking about to about nine people, Brad. <laughs> Todd, so I wouldn't Todd worry about too much about it. Todd is a nom de guerre. Uh, prank caller, prank caller. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, not not... I mean, of course, right? I mean, I was, I, you know, I, I drank and I smoked pot, and if there were some other things around, I would indulge. And, uh, but I also, I, I love teaching, and I wanted to be good at it. And so it was, it kept me sane, and I stayed married. I mean, I, you know, it's weird. People who knew me on both ends of that life will often say, like, you haven't changed. Like, I was kind of goofy and talkative and the same. But... You know, they weren't with me at 2 a.m. with the scotch, with my heart going crazy. They weren't with me when I couldn't swallow, like, something I ate, and I had to run to the bathroom to try to either choke it down or throw it up, right? Like, they weren't with me so many times when I was so sick because I didn't want them to know, right? I mean, it's the mask. It was like, look, I'm a happy, well-adjusted guy. Meanwhile, <laughs> exit stage right, uh, <laughs> hot mess coming right. through. <laughs> so I had, I held on to my marriage. I held on to my job, but my job, I didn't, I didn't really advance in it very much because, you know, I was, I, I wasn't, that wasn't where I was putting my energy, enough of my energy. Okay. So, um, Anyway, and then uh, what got me into the rooms, I, uh, we, were, we were going out. Oh, so first of all, let me backtrack. We, I was sober for 30 days, not emotionally. Didn't go to a meeting, but hung in there. And then started using again, and yeah, you know, I was just tired of it. As people often say at the end, it's just kind of boring. It's not fun anymore, but you, you're tired of it you just don't know how to stop like it's become so enmeshed in your daily life in your consciousness it's inconceivable to stop you know even though all evidence says this is bad you know bridge out ahead (laughs) 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 and you're like not yet though yeah and you know maybe we can clear the canyon maybe if we go fast enough (laughs) yeah 
<laughs> so, uh, so there I was, um, the summer of 2014, and um, I actually that August I went to that meeting where you and I met. Um, I had a couple friends in the program, and they were like, you know, it's not boring. Sobriety isn't boring. Recovery isn't boring. You probably think it is, but it's not. It's really interesting and exciting, and all these feelings come online, and they're kind of intense, you know, so, um, but I didn't go because of that, I went because it was like, I really respected these people a lot, they were great humans, and they were great artists, and I loved them, and admired them, and I thought, you know, they're healthy, and strong, and kind, and hilarious, and gifted, and if they're saying this is a good thing, then they're probably right, Mm -hmm. you know, and they knew me, they knew the troubles I was having, so I went, to that meeting, August of 2014. And of course, it, as it again always is, it was like, this is super awkward. Uh, you know, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm really nervous. Um, the other thing I noticed, Andy, was you kind of go, wow, there's people in the city. Like, who are these people? Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, you've been holed up, right? right. You know, uh, I certainly was a lot. So, so I. I I think the very next day I probably got trashed and then um, kind of kept getting trashed for another month. And then we went out one day. I had kind of smoked pot all day. And then we went out to dinner and I had some drinks and my heart started doing that thing. Um, you know, that little wriggle. murmur. Yeah, the murmur. Yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah that's right. Self-diagnosis. My, my doctor called it uh, an ir- irregular heartbeat. Yeah, uh, didn't have the heart to tell him. Oh, you have no idea, dude. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it goes a lot deeper than my heart. Yeah, way, way deeper, all the way to the core, <laughs> down to my intestines. We're, we're, talk, we're talking about trouble, top to bottom. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Tore up from the floor up, baby. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I remember thinking, I don't want to tell my wife this because, and here, this is exactly how twisted the thinking is. I was like, if she knows I'm having heart troubles, then she won't want me to get high when I get home. But I really want to get high when I get home, you know? And this is where, I mean, that's the mindset of the addict. Like, black is white, up is down, you know? Um, Peace is war, right? It's Orwellian, you know? Yeah, it is. Yeah, slavery is freedom, right? Right. I mean, you just, you're just so twisted. You get into a place where... uh, it, it, it's it's more than top to it, it's more than top is bottom and, and white is black because it depends on the alcoholic and yeah. I mean everything that you that occurs to the alcoholic occurs through that alcoholic's lens yeah and whatever whatever they need to yes. distort the view that they get from that lens they will employ as long and to to get that image where they want it yeah well said man that's right that's right it's like when you go to an eye appointment and they're like how do you see now how do you see now and right you keep flicking those lenses <laughs> exactly but you're doing it yourself and right and yeah that's not gonna go well right. <laughs> you're doing it yourself with like dynamite or shattered glass but anyway you're you're playing you're playing with gunpowder and you're right i mean you will do it until things look the way you want them to look mm-hmm. man that's right that's right and so that instead of i was obviously scared like it, because here's the thing my heart started doing that but normally it would do it and then stop but here it did it and stayed like it it just was like squish 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 and it was obviously really fucked up you know and i knew it and i started to sweat 
And I was like, this is not good. Something r- bad is happening to my heart right now. But even so, dude, the main thought was, you know, I need to, I need to smoke some weed. That's always been the plan. We can't deviate. People will think we're inconstant. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, she's like, you don't look good. Are you okay? And I'm like, something's wrong with my heart, you know? So, um, so we go to the ER. I sort of drive in a bit of a daze, you know? And um, it's, it was packed. It was like a, it was September 30th, 2014. The Royals were making a pennant run. And uh, you go in, the cool thing is you go to the ER, and normally they'll just be like, what do you want, right? But if you say you have a heart issue, <coughs> front of the line. Really? Yeah, so. so mental note. Yeah, mental <laughs> note, dude. I don't want to encourage deception, but, you know, whatever it's going to take. Get you through the night. So, anyway, you know, we go in, and they're like, we don't have a normal room for you. we got to put you in the pediatric room because we're so full. And, I, you know, I was still a little drunk and a little high, and, you know, I, I was... And kind of, dude, I, I wear the mask. Like, I'm just kind of a goofball. I'm a people pleaser. I want people to be happy. And so as we're going through this ER with all these people in casts and IVs and stuff, I'm like, hey, how you doing? You looking good. You're going to be all right. High five. You know? <laughs> you wouldn't. <laughs> wow. I know, dude. I can't turn it off, man. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so we get back in the room, and it's like, oh, well, first they... You, a couple of nurses see you and do an evaluation and they were like, oh, wow, you know, yeah, you suddenly we got IVs in me and we got mm-hmm. leads taped to my chest and you're like, oh, man, this is, I'm not getting out of here soon, yeah. you know, and this is kind of, we're reaching the end of the line. I'm definitely not, I'm not going to get home for that cocktail <laughs> yeah, tonight. That's right, yeah, the scotch is going to have to wait, man. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you know it's kind of serious, but okay, we're joking around and then and then they get you in the room, and then here comes another nurse, and, and they're like, okay, well, you know, what's your deal? And I, I still lied. I was like, I had some drinks. You know, I didn't tell them I'd smoke pot all day or that I was a drug addict, you know, <laughs> or a drunk. Because um, you want them to like you and think you're a decent person. I honestly think part of it is this stigma that you're talking about. Yeah. I think one of the reasons we lie is not just, it's this baked-in shame and feeling of, yeah, yeah judgment, right? So. Mm-hmm. Some of it is wanting to protect the sickness, but some of it really is like, oh, they'll think I'm filthy and yeah. depraved, and we can't have that, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, for all the uh, headway that we've made in our culture about educating people that it's a, a mental and, and physical addiction, you know, if you're if you're the recovering alcoholic, uh, the recovering addict, you know that they are there are going to be people. And there's nothing you can do to change their mind who are going to judge you. Right, right. Because of, because of your, your addiction. That's right. And uh, that's just kind of one of the bridges you jump off when you decide that you want recovery is, well, okay. Right, right. There's nothing I can do to change their mind. So I appreciate you bringing that up because I think um, I was so open in those first few years and so unafraid because it was, it was a desperate case. Like I wanted to live, you know? Um, and I think maybe now six years in and I've accomplished a lot and I've got kind of more to lose. And I think I'm a little more guarded, um, which, you know, I was a little nervous about this. Like, what do I say? How honest should I be? Like people will find out. And, 
and it's it's um that's sad in a way right like i mean because that means i'm not being my most authentic self uh also, I mean, a, an AA phrase among many is we're only as sick as our secrets, you know? So sure. if it's out, who cares, man? Right. Like most people are going to react with sympathy, with concern. They're going to see themselves. It's going to be very few people who are going to react with like, oh, you're disgusting. And frankly, then you know who the assholes are. You're in a position where you're, you're a college professor and you're in recovery and you're pretty open about yeah. being in recovery. You are living the, the you're, you're you're the living example of life after recover or life after of, of after addiction doesn't need to be boring and it That's doesn't right. it doesn't need to be all you know death and taxes all the time right. in fact it's not death and taxes hardly any of the time yeah. you know and that that honestly is one of the things that I think that you suffer from when you're practicing hmm. when you're a practicing addict and you're practicing alcoholic you think good god how could i ever do this thing called life sober because hmm. it's so effing boring otherwise right <clears throat> oh, huge man huge yeah. part of it yeah absolutely i don't think it's boring i think you know this all these feelings memories relationships kind of power back up that mm -hmm. had been turned off so, so much is possible and available that was not, you know? I think it's not easy. I don't think you would agree. It's not easy. I mean, you know, and you've got to kind of relearn old ways and learn new ways. There was a while at the beginning where I'd be at the grocery store on Friday night at like 8.30 going, what the hell am I doing at the grocery store on Friday night? I should be in fence and howling at the moon, you know? Like, uh, I'm the Lizard King of Ralston, dude, right. you know? <laughs> This ain't right. And I had to have somebody in AA say, look, man, I mean, you kind of broke your body. You need, you need to rest, man. Right. Get your groceries. Go home. Go to bed at a decent hour. Like, heal, man. Watch some Three's Company and relax, <laughs> that's man. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And um, so, anyway, I know we got a little off topic there, but the, I think the, that it's also as, as I As I point out to everybody, the, top, the topic is recovery and, yeah. and Todd R. So, okay. So, Sweet, let dude. her rip. Well, thanks, brother. Um, I was going to add something else there along those lines. Um, well, fill in this with good music, dude. Maybe the Three's Company theme, this little yeah, sure. lull. <laughs> I was just going to say one of the things, uh, Joe Rogan, uh, who's uh, uh, probably the most notorious slash famous podcaster known to man, uh, he has a, he, there's a saying that I, 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 put, I, I post on Facebook a couple times. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he, he says, I don't want to, I, I don't care about somebody who, who got to the top and stayed there. I want to hear the story about who, somebody who has been reduced to nothing, to tears, mm. to a, a quivering pile of, of shit and walked their way out of it. And mm. I think that's the most important thing to remember is, uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 I can only speak for myself personally, but a lot of the, and you are the perfect person to ask this question, is mundanity a word? <laughs> How do you say the, the, the mundaneness yeah, without the saying? the mundanity, okay. I think. I, I it's think kind it of is. a clunky one, isn't it? It is, it is. <laughs> In fact, I, I used it recently, I was like, I don't like that word. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it's, it's the word I want. Right. But, uh, mundane works, but yeah, mundanity, <laughs> it, is, it is a stretch, but, but uh, it's yeah. legit. 
but it's it, but it's not. It, it's not mundane. It, no. It's it's and I, I this is where the my practice of Buddhism has uh, specifically Zen Buddhism, Buddhism mm. has become uh, such a big part of my life is uh, the the practice of of living in the now yeah. and just being aware of what is going on right now in this room with you and me talking. And that is the most important thing in the world. I love right that. Now. Yeah. You know, man, I've had a tough couple of days, weeks. I don't know. Haven't we all, right? But, right. but I feel good right now. Like, yeah. I, feel, I feel the best I've felt today, for sure. <coughs> I got the goosebumps to prove it, dude. Like, I, I love that point, you know? I feel welcomed. I feel understood. I feel provoked in good ways, you know? Right. Uh, I feel like I'm in a conversation with somebody I know and respect, you know? So I, I appreciate that. And I think that ties into what you're talking about. Um, yeah, being in this moment fully, not thinking about the chores I need to do, not thinking about what happens Monday, just being here talking, you know, reliving the past, moving back, bringing it back up. I mean, fully engaged in this moment, and I needed that, dude. Uh, and, of course, that's recovery wisdom one day at a time. Sure. You know, you can't, you know, who knows what's coming around the bend. The past is kind of done, um, but we're here now. What are you going to do yeah. with it? Yeah, that, and that, <clears throat> that is one of my uh, uh, favorite uh, points to bring up on this podcast or in a, in a share or whatever is uh, that, that book, the, the book that did it for me, The Zen of Recovery, uh, the author and also uh, Kevin Griffin, who's written a few books about Buddhism and sobriety, and he, he the author of the first book, Zen and Recovery, Mal Ash, and then Kevin Griffin, who wrote uh, two or three books about uh, Zen and Recovery, he lays out the similarities and how easily the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous or 12 steps of recovery click in to Buddhism and cool. how you, it, it's really, it, it's, a, it's a seamless, it's a seamless effort to, to really see them uh, both and say, oh, okay, well, that makes sense now. Yeah, um, I can see it. I, I have limited understanding of each, but, you know, I mean, if we start with unmanageability in AA, that sounds a lot like all life is suffering, you know? Yeah, I, exactly. I mean, right away, it's like, mm, yeah, okay. Yeah. What are we going to do about it? Well, we're going to be compassionate, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, so to go a little back again, um, you were talking about Rogan or that idea, that respect that you have for somebody who's at the low ebb, dark night of the soul, right? And, right. and it comes up out of it. And so that was mine. It was that first night in the hospital. I, um, you know, my wife, I had my, my sister came down and uh, I texted two friends of mine kind of jokingly. And I was like, my heart's going haywire. I'm in the hospital. If I don't see you again, bye. You know? And so then they wheeled me to to the x-ray department and radiology to take a look at my heart, see what was going on. And as they were wheeling me back to my room, one of those buddies I'd texted is standing in the hallway, like he'd come down to see me, you know? And I started laughing to see him and crying at the same time, you know? Um, I, I, and I just mentioned that because I've been so grateful to him ever since. Like, I, I think, you know, just being present for somebody is, is such a stunning gift. You don't always have to have the best words. You don't have to have the chocolates, the bouquet. You know, you don't have to be Lone Ranger. Just show up. Yeah. Just be there in their life. When they're at a low ebb, just be patient and be available. And uh, I've loved that dude. I always loved him, but I love him ten times as much, you know. Yeah. 
So anyway, back to the low ebb. They left. I told my wife to go home. I'm like, there's no point in trying to sleep in this recliner. Go. I'm fine. You know, I was stable. Um, but here's the thing. Because of my throat. So typically, they would send a little probe down your throat and shock your heart back into rhythm. It's pretty smooth. It might sound creepy, but it's a pretty easy way to get out of AFib. Um, but because I had this beat up esophagus, they didn't know if it could fit the probe. Mm. So, and here's where, you know, when you're a drug addict and a drunk, like you cause problems that cause problems for your problems. <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> no, that went all too well myself. <laughs> yeah, man. So, uh, it's turtles all the way down, man. <laughs> so... So they're like, well, tomorrow we'll, we'll take a look at your esophagus and see if it can fit this probe, you know, or whatever. And I was like, great. So, so they're like, you're going to have to be like this overnight, which is like, oh, that's tough. Because you don't feel good, dude. Your heart's out of rhythm. You know, you're jittery and, you know. But I sent her home. They were like, you know, you're at elevated risk for stroke or heart attack, but, you know, we don't think you're going to have it. Like, you seem stable. How old are you at this point? Uh, 44. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for me, drinking and drug use was a lifestyle. You mm -hmm. know, I started at 13 when my life exploded, and I kept going till my life exploded again. <laughs> so I put in 31 years, made it mostly work, you know. And there were times when I was not really super actively addicted, you know. It, it, it's sure. a progressive disease, right? And so the last 10 years were were the most intense, you know. Yeah, I mean, the last eight years of my, I mean, yeah. it, it started, um, well, the the decline started uh, in the months after I got out of the hospital the first time. Yeah. Um, but that, that, that first neuropsych eval, uh, neuro, neuropsychological, neuropsychological evaluation for uh, the layman, uh, where I went to the appointment with the neuropsych, the neuropsychologist, and she gave me the test, and the test revealed that I had <clears throat> dropped uh, something like 35 IQ points or yeah. something, 30 IQ points uh, from, I don't know, the last IQ, I don't know. Wow. Uh, but it was enough for me to just sit in the passenger seat of my mom's car, and I, I was like, great, I'm a fucking dumbass now <laughs> fantastic i'm sorry to laugh you're no, clearly no, no. not a dumbass so i mean yeah you might have been frighteningly intelligent it's probably good for you to be back down <laughs> here with the rest of us i don't think that's the truth myself <laughs> but we do find ourselves in these moments when it you know some things you don't get back like i think yeah. on the whole we get back more than we had right sure i believe that but it's true that there are some bridges too far, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And you give a great example of one, you know. And I've got scar tissue on my esophagus still and my heart. Like, they're there. Yeah. They're not going to just disappear. I've healed a lot. But, you know, I mean, I got some. And, and yeah, I guess I won't talk about other people in the program but uh, specifically. But we know others who have long-term health consequences as sure. well. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, the cool thing is with good community and recovery and so on um you know those things you know they say in the program regret avails us nothing they're part of our strength experience strength and hope right. you're able to say look how low i was right. i was in that car and i was like great i'm a dumbass <laughs> and you had a real i mean a real 
problem, you know, a, a real neurological problem, psychological, I'm sure. And me too. And uh, we lost almost everything, but here we are. Well, and I think the psychological part about it, and this is the part that most practicing alcoholics don't realize, and this is one of the one of the most prescient points, uh, is that when you're active, when you, you're not... <laughs> You're not seeing reality as it is. You're not. Yeah. You are. You are viewing it through the lens of a depressant. Mm-hmm. Alcohol is depressant, and if you consume it to the point of, I don't care if <clears throat> if it's buzzed or just kind of buzzed or blackout drunk. If you consume it every day, it starts to infect and penetrate every single part of your psyche yeah well said yeah it's undeniable and i you know i was able to see it in others who i loved who whose lives were immolated you know and annihilated literally they drank themselves to death in front of me and and because the call of that booze as a as a narcotic right as a as a lens to see the world in a way that seems prettier even though that could happen right in front of me I could I would keep drinking and using drugs, right? Yeah. Um, and they probably the ones who killed themselves probably saw the same thing happen and were like, "Ah, I got this." Damn, sure. <laughs> what um what was your have you all, have you been a teacher since out of the gate of graduate school? Long time, or? yeah, since the first year of my PhD program, so 1997, fall of 97. And that was a PhD in English. Okay. At okay. UNL. Yeah. And at the time, um, you know, I had done drugs and alcohol since I was 13, but at the time, I, I really was, I was drinking occasionally, you know, not, not often, I suppose. I don't know. I don't have a log book. No. <laughs> you know, I drank. Like, that's what we did. You know, that was fun. So we did that. And I, if I would come across some drugs, usually weed, I would smoke them, but I didn't have a reliable connection. And... Uh, and I had things that interested me other than those. You know, that's the thing. For a while, it was enough to read novels and teach sure. and write poems and sure. write, meet cool, interesting people in seminar rooms and so forth. And then, and then even in that program, as it got more stressful, as it got harder, I think I was leaned more on booze and more on weed. And, you know, because I was stressed and I wasn't coping well and I felt a little overwhelmed so let's put more of that in that'll take care of it and of course then you're like now i feel more stressed i feel more overwhelmed so then i'm going to need more alcohol and more pot (laughs) you know and so by the end of that program i I think it was in place like the drug addiction was certainly in place i was like i'm gonna have to smoke pot the rest of my life like i okay so that was about 2004 um and, you know, in a creative field, you know, you, you can get away with it maybe in a way you can't in certain others. I, I think you can get away with it, but only, only to a certain extent. I mean, I, right. think, I think the, the image of the, uh, the whatever it is, writer, artist, musician, uh, as uh, this, you know, crazed lunatic who is uh, cranking out the, 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 the brilliance of, of the day while they're in a, a drug-addled frenzy that's largely horseshit number one (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) and for sure and number two and i i I know that you you will attest to this um i mean i've been sober for eight years and you've been sober or nine i'm sorry nine years and you've been sober for a long time 
it doesn't affect the work. If anything, it makes it better. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, undeniably, man. Yeah. Undeniably. I think it makes it better just because you're more consistent, right. number one. Yes. <laughs> you're, not, you're not waiting for that window between kind of buzzed and blackout. Yeah, that's it. I, I, I think I can hammer <laughs> out 500 words before I completely go off yes. the reservation. Yes, man. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I, you know, I, if you think about artists, um, writers, musicians, they have to know a craft that is difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, it, to even begin is something most people can't do. Can't play guitar, can't sing, can't paint, can't write, or won't, you know, they're bad at it. So to have, you've got an innate gift that you um, nurture with practice and so on. Um, right, so to practice those things, to engage in those things, to produce those things takes discipline. Maybe above all, you got to yeah. show up, you know, you've got to be ready. Um, Woody Allen said it best, 80% of success is showing up. Yeah, totally, dude. So, and when, and the last thing that a drunk or drug addict Did I say Woody wants, Harrelson? I meant Woody Allen. Oh, you said Woody Allen. Okay, that's yeah, what I Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's funny that you should mention Woody Harrelson, but... He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen People vs. Larry Flynn? Talk about a drug addiction. Great show. Great movie, <laughs> oh, man. Great I saw movie. that in Paris, dude. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> But anyway, um, I ripped out of your mind while you're doing it too. <laughs> there, there'd been some drinks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, well, um, oh, showing up, right? Yeah. You said showing up is eighty percent, and one thing that active drunks and drug addicts don't do is show up. I right. mean, it's like what? Show up? No way. I'm gonna check out. So yeah, I I think I bought into it. But why do we buy into the myth? Because the myth serves the beast. It's right. like if. If exactly. I tell myself, exactly. right, I'll be a better writer from yep. high, then I got an excuse to get high, man. Why not? Why not? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just going to make me more creative yes. And, yes. and more free thinking. No, it's really going to not. That's exactly <laughs> right, dude. It's going to silence you and distract you and dull you. That's correct, man. So, I mean, there might be that one in a hundred chance that some thought will worm its way through, but are you going to have the means to express it, to control right. it, shape it, revise it? You and know? you'll have the same thought if you're sober and you'll have a lot more of them, right. a lot more frequently. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, so to kind of conclude my story, the low point, the nadir, I, I, that night in the hospital, it's 2 a.m. and everyone's gone and I'm alone and my heart's going crazy and I'm like, Okay, this is where it got you. You know, this wasn't your dad being shitty to you when you were a kid. You know, this wasn't uh, our sick, late capitalist culture. This isn't your lady. You know, this isn't your job. This is you and your addiction. That is what got you here, man. In a hospital bed alone at 2 in the morning with your heart going haywire. Like, so... You know, they, an AA will say, like, if you want to drink or use drugs, play the tape forward. And it was a play the tape forward moment. It's like, okay, so if I continue to do this, to drink and use drugs, gee, I wonder where it will lead. <laughs> 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 well, first of all, it's going to get me right back here, right. At, if I'm lucky. And then second, it's going to get me in the grave, man. I yeah. mean, there's just... I got. I painted myself in a corner. There is no other move left on this chessboard, dude. I had so many. So at the at the end of of uh, my drinking career, I was I was living with uh, my girlfriend at the time, and I always knew how bad I had been the night before if I woke up alone, 
If I woke up and she was sitting, if she was laying next to me, I knew that whatever I had done, because I was a blackout drunk. Well, I, I wasn't blackout um, in the sense like I passed out, but I was blackout like I, I checked out. I mean, mm-hmm. I, was, I was still awake. I was still drinking, but yeah. um, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't on this planet uh, for, the, for the last couple hours of the night. And so I woke, if I woke up and she was in bed with, next to me, I was like, oh, thank God. And that was always a relief. And yeah. if I woke up and she wasn't, wasn't next to me, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, the first couple hours of the day are going to suck because she's upstairs and she's not going to be happy with me. Oh, dude, the sinking feeling. I know it yeah. so well. It's amazing. One of the other great gifts of recovery is how rarely, if at all, you wake up feeling that way. You know, you might wake up tired or you might wake up a little depressed, but you're never going to wake up and go, oh, no, I've done it again. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or maybe not never, but the, this frequency plummets, right. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Wow, man. Yeah, I think I think what happens is, well, it's once I think once you have committed to being an alcoholic and it is it is a decision, it, it maybe not a lucid decision, but it, it is a decision on some level that you make at some point. Go ahead. You make at some point along the way. Uh, I don't know for you if it was uh, when you somewhere in the course of the Ph.D. program. For me, it was some somewhere in the years following the brain surgery that I let go and I didn't care and I didn't look back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I, you know, I, I agree. I know that I certainly agree that I let go and I didn't look back. I, uh, yeah, whatever shreds of conscience or of ambition, right, right, that's what I'm that old about. self. You know, the young self who would have been like, don't do that. Right. Why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah, you're like, right. yeah, no, I don't really care what that dude thinks anymore. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I could guess a couple different things, but, um, you know, dude, that's it. Like we, because you've ceased to see the world for what it is. Instead, you see it for what, you know, your, your distorted mind says. Yeah. Right. You're just like, fine, fine. Right. And I think that's a good lesson for us, even in recovery. I, um, when we're going through difficulty, you know, we can easily say this is the only way the world's ever going to be. It's going to be this bad, you know, after my breakup or after my sickness or, you know, um, or pandemic, you know. Sure. Um, but what Buddhism would teach us, and I think what the program teaches us, is that cha- everything changes. Everything always changes. changes. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, but even even with my new circumstances, my lo- my new living arrangement is, you know, I, I live alone, and I've been doing it for going on well. It'll be three years in January, and yeah, I mean, in the first the first year of it was that was easily the the breakup year, and everybody has them, you know, and, and I I ate too much crappy food and I watched too much crappy TV and I didn't go to, you know, but the second year was the start of the pandemic. And Mm. so, and that, and it's carried through, but I mean, if you asked me a year ago, a year and a half ago, if I was happy, I would have told you not, not even for a couple minutes. I'm just getting by. And I, I looked, I, today I went for a really long bike ride 
and I stopped at Seymour Smith, and I saw um, this uh, baseball league for folks with developmental disabilities. Mm. Uh, they were playing, and I, I stopped, and I got a drink of water out of the water fountain, and this guy comes over to me, and he's like, yeah, we, we've got uh, coolers full of water right, right over here. And I was like, oh, thanks, you know, that, that'd be great. And uh, so I went over around the corner, and I'm, I'm, you know, drinking my free water and, you know, good, clean, you know, cold water. And I'm talking to this guy, and, uh, and he's a, a, the father of one of these uh, people. Um, and I t- so I told him about my sister who has autism. And so we had that in common. And we just, I, it was, I, I rode my bike into my parking lot thinking, this, that was I, I would have never even had the presence of mind to value what just happened a year ago, a year and a half ago. And mm-hmm. now it's, this is, this is the perfect way to spend an afternoon is go for a long bike ride and you meet, meet a kind stranger who you know. And I mean, I work with people, with folks uh, with developmental disabilities. And so it's, you know, we were, you know, we we knew you know it's it's like honestly it's like being in being in a meeting um i've always thought that uh uh meetings that they do have something kind of in common with uh, cosa nostra where is uh, if you don't know then you don't know but if you know then you know <laughs> <laughs> you you know too well <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds legit to me man yeah, yeah there's an unspoken code um Huh, that's cool. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so just having that, just having the day that I had, the, the few hours that I had, uh, if, if you would have asked me a, a, a year and a half ago uh, from, from today, if I thought that was even possible, no way. I would have thought that maybe good times on the horizon will happen, but... I don't know when, and I'm certainly not holding my breath for him. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I didn't, and, you know, so, you know, you get, you know, a year and a half later, and you start to, you know, the good moments are, start to really outweigh the bad moments, and um, that's, that's the, that's what we mean by one day at a time, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, to use another phrase, keep your side of the street clean. And, you know, you were like, I'm going to ride a bike. That's That bike ride is keeping your side of the street clean. You're not sitting at home eating chips and watching TV, you right. know. Um, uh, and, to, you know, maybe in a weird way, that, that last step, I think, I don't even have them memorized, but carrying the message forward, which wasn't the message of recovery, but the me- message of openness. That guy offered you water, and you're like, yeah, thanks, you know? Yeah. You didn't shirk from contact, as you might have before. Or the other side of it is when you're jacked up, you, you push contact too much, right? You don't have boundaries. Yeah. So either you're putting up a boundary to keep you walled off from people, or you're breaking boundaries that should be up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we get better at reading that and behaving somewhat appropriately still making mistakes recognizing our imperfection of course but yeah Yeah. well dropping those inhibitions every now and then can be a a cathartic thing true for sure yeah yeah. if you do it seven days a week (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's trouble man johnny law is going to be knocking on your door you're pushing the envelope (laughs) um so how long have you been the tenured professor mm-hmm. of creative writing. 
I've been tenured zero days. I'm not tenured yet. I'm oh, working on I thought you were. No, dude, but that is one of the cool things of this recovery process. I was an adjunct okay. um, the whole time I was using, which for those of you not in the know, the three of you or whatever, it's uh, um, that means I'm a professor, but I'm not full-time, part-time, which means no benefits, really low wage, no office, like you're okay. sort of a hired hand. Okay. You know? um, is, that, is this your only gig? Well, I, at the time, yeah, I was working at UNO only then, but for a while I worked at UNO and Creighton, okay. you know, so okay. that's what a lot of people do, a yeah. lot of adjuncts do, <clears throat> most of them, because you can't make a wa- living wage, yeah. you know, and even then you can't, but you can get sort of sure. maybe in the neighborhood. Anyway, so, yeah, I was part-time, but I worked hard and stayed here and done some good things, so I, you know, I was doing okay, but in 2016... I'd been sober, you know, two years and had really cleaned up my life and um, done a lot of good work with myself and so on and teaching. And so I was given a full-time job, not tenure track, but full-time with benefits. And then in 20, I think, 18, I was given a tenure track job. They created it for me. So so I'm, in theory... Um, if I keep living one day at a time, brother, I'm uh, almost halfway to, to tenure. So. Good for you. Good for yeah. You. And that would not have been possible in the old way of living. Oh. No way in hell. So, and it won't be possible now if I don't, you know, continue to take certain steps, man. You know, I mean, I need to work on, on inventory, take an inventory and, you know, no, having a rigorous sense of what my defects are, which are s- still there. You know, I'm not feeding them you know nuclear power rods like i was before <laughs> so they might not mutate into city destroying beasts but <laughs> keep them in the basement man sure. keep them small <laughs> keep them starving so anyway um at what point uh in the process of the last few years did you decide to write the book so uh, you're referring to Master Shut-Ins. I, this I'm is referring my, to your book. Yes, yeah, Master so Shut-Ins. I have two uh, books. I published a, oh, a chat book in 2012 when I was still using, um, some of which I'd written when I was sober or kind of norm, a normie of sorts, and then some when I was kind of partying, a little baby book. Um, but... Yeah. Are either of those things available on Amazon? Or I think where they can both you... are. I okay. think that, yeah. I would send you, t- for the new one, Mass for Shut-Ins, newer, the, the good one, the better one, the, the Big Daddy. That's, right. I'd go to University of Nebraska Press just to support a good organization. Good, good point, yeah. good point. Mass for Shut-Ins, Todd Robinson. There you go, buddy. There you go. Uh, or the Bookworm in Omaha okay. would have it. So anyway, um, yeah, so, you know, they're books of poems that are, sort of related but they're they're not like a novel or a memoir or something so I was just writing and I think once I got sober I really wanted to write more because I was like who am I how did I get here how was I doing all this crazy crap and so I was kind of compulsively writing and so the pace and as you said earlier you know the consistency of the work and of the work ethic it really just allowed me to be a much more productive and and um, polished writer, sure. so um, more urgent, more informed, you know, mm-hmm. more more artful. <clears throat> so I started publishing more often, um, and then uh, I knew some guys. Um, I knew the editor of this Backwaters Press, which is a press based in Omaha, but had a national kind of re- a small press, but had a national reputation. Really, really good people. And what do they publish? 
they published poetry, books okay. of poetry, and they said, uh, hey, you know, we'd like to, they'd actually several years before said, we want it, we'd like to publish a book of your poems, and I was like, dude, I've been, I've been burning the candle at both ends, I, <laughs> my poems are crap, but <laughs> they knew some of my work that was okay, and, and I was like, you know, give me, I'm gonna, I'm not ready, but, but then they asked again, and I was like, yeah, I think I'm ready, okay. so, so, and that was cool, it was great to be in a position to you know, leap at an opportunity instead of stomping on the opportunity. <laughs> or, or recoiling from it. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it was nice. Yeah. So I had a great editor, um, and he, he really poured over every single poem almost line by line. Like, you know, what is it? should there be a comma here? Is this word right? And, and a lot of the poems are about recovery, you know, about being a drunk and a drug addict and getting straight and sure. making sense of yeah. this new life, you know? Of that's, uh, that's what my Zen brain, the blog, has always been about. I mean, in, in early recovery, I'd, I'd say <clears throat> um, because I, I, I created that, that persona that I named him and I had so many uh, that was that was the, that was my process. That was my process of getting. <laughs> bless you. Sorry. That was my process of, of getting those thoughts about myself out of my head and showing other people this is what the recovering alcoholic thinks of themselves. They don't like themselves. They're pretty angry at themselves, actually, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're pretty disappointed in themselves. I, I, I admittedly had the the, <clears throat> the lens of the the traumatic brain injury to to uh, look at everything through, and uh, but that is one of the things about the program. I think is is so valuable, and it's. <laughs> I mean, we, we you talked about a, a little bit about your first meeting, and you're kind of nervous, and you're kind of awkward, and you don't want to talk, and you're afraid, you're deathly afraid that anybody's going to ask you to talk. Um, so I, I'll just do this right now. I mean, the 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 public service announcement uh, for this uh, episode of My Zen Brain is if you go to an AA meeting, nobody expects anything from mm -hmm. you. You don't have to say anything. You don't even have to introduce yourself if you don't want to. Uh, you can keep your mouth shut and you can just listen. That's all anybody asks of you. Uh, one of the tried and truisms of, I think it's in the promises, attraction rather than promotion is, is uh, how AA operates. Uh, if, if, and if, if you come to an AA meeting, whether you're convinced you're an alcoholic or you think you might be an alcoholic or uh, the judge says that you have to, uh, just go and just listen. And if you like that meeting, continue to go to that meeting. And if you don't like that meeting, I mean, we <coughs> live in a community where there are hundreds of meetings, and I know there's communities, but there are thousands of meetings occurring every single day. So if you are at a meeting that you don't like, go to a different one. And then if you don't like that meeting, go to a different one. And if you don't like that, you see where I'm going with this. <laughs> and, that's, and that, I, I, think, I think a lot of the reservations that people may feel going to 
an AA meeting is this this petrification that oh Christ somebody is going to and with the exception of the Miller Club that's not going to happen <laughs> most of the time most people at an AA meeting when I say most I'm I'm talking about almost all of them will not just accost you and say Come, let me be your sponsor, and let, let's <laughs> let's go through the first so six steps. No, no, <laughs> that's not what most people who go to an AA meeting want to hear. First of all, what they want to hear is other people's stories, and they need to know that they are among people who understand where they are. And if you're lucky, well, not lucky. I mean, I, I think uh, it's it's pretty prevalent that most other alcoholics will get that and they won't force you to share or they won't demand that you work the steps with them. They will let you come to your own decisions about how, what kind of program you want to work. I remember when I was in treatment in Valley Hope, uh, my, my counselor, uh, he said, uh, it's, he he said, "I think you're 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 working a good program." I didn't even know what he meant. I was like, "Okay, want to explain that a little bit?" Mm. <laughs> but the most important words that he used were "your program," and so if you were in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, you don't work anybody else's program but your own. You 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 find what works for you and you leave the rest out at the door. Um, yeah. Take what you need and leave the rest. You yeah. know what works for you, what words, what people, what ideas um, you don't have to look like everybody else. But at the same time, you're going to find so much similarity when you go there, you're going to, yeah. you're going to see, Oh, that person also lied or, Oh, that person also had esophagitis or that person also had a TBI or that person also enjoyed, you know, a drinking scotch at three in the morning. And that person also got uh, a DUI, right? I mean, it, right. you know, you see, I am not unique or the right. phrase they use in AA is terminally unique. Terminally unique. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean, man? I, as, as I understand it, and you know, there's a couple few people uh, in the program that I, I, that completely just, pop up uh, whenever I think when, whenever I hear the term terminally unique uh, because of the, how they introduce themselves uh, not to say anything about their character I think they're wonderful people I just mm -hmm. think it's completely unnecessary because the whole point <laughs> of Alcoholics Anonymous is yeah. you don't have a, an identity mm. in these rooms because your identity however unique you think you may be there are thousands of you exactly there yeah. are thousands possibly yeah. hundreds of thousands right. of you millions man i <laughs> yeah. mean yeah and this in a way circles back to what we were talking about at the beginning that it is a public health crisis right. you know uh yeah i mean there there are certain neural pathways i'm no expert on that but there are societal pathways and we take the same damn ones man mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. denial rationalization um financial ruin you know yeah. what do you got man well what, what, what it's funny that you mentioned financial ruin just because uh i i i remember this i i heard this in a meeting not too long ago somebody said the, the there's a an important distinction 
uh, in the AA in the AA literature, it says uh, fear of economic security will leave you, and they're right. Fear of economic security will leave you, or I'm sorry, fear of economic insecurity will mm. leave you, and they're right. Fear of economic insecurity will leave you. Economic insecurity won't leave you. <laughs> not in America, bro. No, not 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 in this, these late late stages of capitalism. Right, right. But, uh, but you have means of coping, of right. seeking help. Right, not saying I'm going to hotwire my fear with some booze. Right, you know, I'll right. I'll get out of here, and it's like, no, you're going to get in a jail cell, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I think. Um, that, that, and that's so great. I mean, another phrase they use is reducing our feelings of difference. And that is what it is all about. Because we've worked so hard to build those trenches between us and other people, between us and our partners, us and our families, us and our, you know, whatever, culture, coworkers. Um, and suddenly you're like, oh, you're like me, but you're alive and you've been sober 30 years. Or you're like me <laughs> and you've been sober 30 days. And, you know, th there's just, you realize like, huh. They, they were like me, and they're still alive. Right. You know? and that means I can be like them and still be alive, you know? And um, I think that's one reason you're doing this, you know? Yeah. It's to throw out a rope to people who think they're drowning, and it's like, grab hold, you don't have to drown. Right, right. And there's, and again, we talked about this a little before the podcast, but one of the things that, one of the reasons I, I did do this is, is just because um, it it's it's my little you know dagger wound in the in the stigma of this is a moral failing and it's not it's it's i i i like to think that we've progressed enough as a culture that that idea is on it's it's dissolving and it is i mean it, it's still it's still it's still there i mean there's there's definitely people that still think that you know, if you're, if, <laughs> if you're an alcoholic, just drink less. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Is it, <laughs> it, it, so it, it's that easy, huh? I confess that I tried that many times, and I failed every single time. Right. <laughs> so you're still going to meetings? Yep, three days a week. Yeah, that's right. And I have a sponsor, and I sponsor a guy for the first time. Oh, so, really? Yeah, yeah. Right. I was very nervous about that, but he's been amazing. Um, he's super kind and you know you again you just say like this dude is amazing like he's yeah. smart and he's wise and he's funny and he's thriving but not so long ago just like us man you know uh he had the wrong pair of glasses on and yeah. saw the world a, a very very uh very illicit sort of way so uh yeah that's been great and that's another chance to just be outside of your own mind and you know to to be of use you know how nice to be of use like to yeah. be helpful and to 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 make it easier for other people to go through the world instead of harder <laughs> yeah or, or just i mean just to, just to extend a hand to yeah. to people and just say right. i i have been where you are That's right. and there is a way out i mean i remember uh at a meeting one time um the gentleman who Tom, who uh, owned the Three Quarters house that I lived in, um, I remember, this was years ago, uh, he said in a meeting, he said, I, I went to a meeting, he, he was like his first meeting or second meeting or something, and he shared, and his share was basically, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic, but 
I know that I can't stop drinking and I want to, and I don't know how. Mm. And that just, I mean, talk about, I mean, just the stark reality mm. of, of being in recovery is how the hell do I do this? Mm-hmm. How do I take this thing that has been such an integral part of my life for so long and just eliminate it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, you know, cunning, baffling, powerful. Alcohol will talk you out of it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. It is inconceivable when you're deep in it. Um, it's your medicine, you know? Yeah. It's it's uh, <clears throat> it's your it's your God. It's your higher power. It's your lower power. It's your mistress. I mean, yeah, that was it for me. I mean, I. It's so funny. Like I didn't realize how much time I was spending in the basement until I kind of <laughs> quit. <laughs> until I quit going down there. Yeah. You know. I mean, dude, I went to the basement. You know, fifty times a day. Sometimes twenty, thirty. I've spent a lot of time in the basement. <laughs> and now I, I go down there to go do laundry. <laughs> Have you ever uh, heard Stephen King talk about the boys in the basement? No. Oh, it's, that it's, sounds great. It's one of his metaphors for uh, uh, when he's working on a novel. Um, and he's, he gets to the middle of it. And he's, so he's already got his characters. There. He's, already, he's already got his plot line. And he's cruising on it, but he doesn't, he doesn't know you know what he's gonna you know write today or tomorrow or whatever he just says i just let the boys in the basement handle that and, <laughs> and, they, and then they and then they you know hand up to me okay this is what you did <laughs> this is what you need to do okay yeah they're weird enough they're I, they're dark enough yeah. yeah that's funny i i wish i had that uh kind of uh imagination but then again i also wish that i had the kind of time that Stephen King has to devote to writing. Otherwise, I wouldn't be working for a living, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe we all got to pay our dues, man. I mean, right. There's few of us who <laughs> escape that obligation. No. Um, all right, well, uh, as I have said to uh, other guests in the past, uh, I'd like to have you on again. Sure, um, love that. Open yeah. for it. You know, we are in this context of pandemic, and it's not ending. And I think for me, meetings were a real haven through that pandemic, you know, uh, a time when I was really isolated and afraid and and so on and, and frustrated, right? And all this sort of toxic stew, once again, is kind of swirling. And I was able two or three days a week or more sometimes to find a community of people who understood me you know mm-hmm. and who offered a welcome and offered a way forward that was sane and compassionate and um so I, I think that's one of the really cool things that it's not you know you know dude i mean we don't talk about booze and drugs as much as you would think in meetings like not i really. think the outsider thinks that's all you talk about and i think the newer you are the more you talk about it but the older you are we're just trying to get through life in a way that is, you know, enjoyable, that's rich and good and healthy. And um, so, you know, that was nice to, not just nice, I mean, I might even call it salvific, you know, to, to have these get through every week and have these little landing pads to, so that, you know, I could get back out there. And I could yeah. come in and say, I'm really nervous about teaching remotely or, you know, um, I don't know, my friend has COVID and I, I'm freaked out. And to have a place to share those fears and concerns and to get some comfort as well. So I forget what the what the what the expression is. Uh 
an alcoholic that doesn't have a drinking problem, they have a living problem. Yeah. And we don't know how to do it without alcohol. And that's where meetings are so important. Yeah. Um, and these conversations, man. I, yeah. I love that point as a living problem. I mean, I, I, I can say, you know, the last few days or weeks have not been easy for me. Um, not for a lot of people I know. And um, it's helpful to meet you and have this conversation and then to re to remind myself that I do have a living problem. I mean, it's great that I'm sober. I'm giving myself the best possible chance, right? To, sure. to, to have a good, long, healthy, happy, delightful life. But that there is something and someone in me who, who needs attention and care and, yeah. um, and preservation and protection and investigation, you know, that it's, that if I'm left to just sort of fall back and not be attentive to that, then I'm going to do what I did today, which is, brother, I ate two pints of ice cream. Two <laughs> pints. Not one, two. <laughs> and a bag of cashews. And uh, I played a video game for about two and a half hours. So, <laughs> which, you know, isn't as bad as some of the things I've done. But, you know, it's not exactly living the dream. Well, no, but, I mean, you can't live the Sometimes you got to nap, man. <laughs> I mean, you, can't, you can't live the dream every day. That's true. Um, and, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, I think li- giving yourself uh, enough leeway um, is crucial yeah. to the recovering alcoholic. Because one of the things that, if you read the big book of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, in the first 164 pages, um, it's very, it was written in, in the late 30s, and you can tell <laughs> because uh, there, there's like there's a whole chapter uh, chapter to wives uh, mm-hmm. because it's right. it's just assumed that it's men who have the uh, drinking problem and it's their uh, sweet uh, sweet docile wives who just uh, put up with it um, and that's not the program of 2021 America no. at oh, all man. no <clears throat> no yeah. Yeah, and I, I like it that you said um, recovering in the present tense and not recovered alcoholics, you know, oh, because yeah. I think, although I'm sure you and I are rarely, if ever, tempted by the idea of drinking or using drugs, we're still, you know, people uh, of a certain, you know, psychological makeup, right, who are continuing to recover, and that means being honest and being in community and seeking help and, you know, continuing to take inventory, to use the phrase from the program, continuing to uh, be of service, um, you know, it's to nurture to, our best selves and not our worst. It's important that you specify that the step is taking a fearless and thorough moral inventory right. of ourselves, which means that you get to look, up, look at yourself warts and all. Yeah, that's right. And decide... Okay, well, what needs to go and what can stay? And I think I real I I, I recently had a, a, a mental conversation with myself about the term uh, character defects because it, it I don't like the term because I think that the term character quirks is a mm-hmm. little bit mm-hmm. more accurate because mm-hmm. a character defect is something that you do. I mean, a character defect is something that you do that you don't like and that you want to change it by yourself. But if 
if if it's a part of your personality, it, if if it if it makes you you, well, then it's not really a defect, mm-hmm. is it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 a character quirk. It's mm-hmm. something that you do that that isn't necessarily bad. It isn't necessarily good. It's just now if that particular trait or habit or whatever has gotten you in trouble in the past, well, then you know that that falls under the category of defect. Yeah. But if it doesn't always because I mean, for example, I I kind of have a, a I, I lack a filter a lot. <laughs> so as you know, you've heard me speak in meetings enough uh-huh. times to know uh-huh. that sometimes I just say the first thing that comes into my mind, and that's mm-hmm. not always the best idea. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's the exact right thing yeah. to say, uh, even no matter how uncouth it may be. <laughs> so. Um, Anyway, so I, I, I just I, I just think of the the, the term of, of character defects and think you know we need to take a step back from that because is it a defect or is it just something that you do that isn't necessarily bad or necessarily good? It's just something that maybe you want to work on, maybe it's something you want to tweak, or I mean, just eliminating something is because it's a character defect. It, a lot like a lot of a lot like a lot of the things in the program of of the of the 100, first 164 pages, it could use some revamping. It could use some reworking. Yeah, um, you know, it's a human document made in a specific historical milieu with its baggage of that era. Um, yeah, it, some of it isn't going to work for us. Some of it isn't going to speak to us. Uh, but luckily, a lot is. Um, and the cool thing is, you know, this is a program of action. So... It's not just reading the words or saying them out loud, right? It's you, this is you and your program of action, like saying defects, maybe a little, but also, you know, some of the things some people might see in me as defects always speak in my mind or, you know, whatever, blurting what's at the top of my head I see as an attribute, as a gift, you know, right? So we're trying to live a conscious life. I mean, it boils down to we're trying to be live a conscious life rather than an unconscious one, right? An active life rather than a reactive life. Right. Do we fail at that? Yes, regularly, but often. But, <laughs> but we're giving ourselves the best chance we can, you know, to yeah. make it through without hurting ourselves or others unduly. Again, you know, I mean, we're all jostling through one another's lives we're all imperfect we're all under stress particularly these days but you know again we're not putting kerosene on that tire fire man no we're no putting, we're not we're putting, uh, yeah we're putting and, uh, cotton candy i don't know what would make it go away that's really tasty <laughs> ice cream there you go um, yeah it's I, you know, everybody's got their 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 own thing going on. Um, one of the things that I've I've heard I, I heard it first uh, many years ago, and it, it stuck with me. And I think that's the point of you don't know you don't have any idea what the other person has gone through. So yeah. be kind. Mm-hmm. Just always be kind because the person you might have you is just doing something that is just you know grating on your nerves or whatever well that might that person might be a recovering alcoholic who's white knuckling it today and they might be six inches away from blowing it yeah um so just give them you know and and again this is this is i think where uh a lot of my my buddhist um learning has come in my buddhist teaching uh because the the concept of compassion and just bringing 
compassion and empathy to every interaction you have with other people and the interactions that you have with yourself. I mean, that's, you know, it's, you, you need to, if, if you need to go easy on yourself today, well then go easy on yourself right, today. Right. I, I, I appreciate this so much, man. I, the timing is really, man, it's one of those, that Zen saying, you know, leap and the net will appear. You I have know? that. I have it on, on a magnet on my refrigerator. Yeah. That, this is that kind of a day or when the student is ready, the teacher will appear or what have you. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I need that, man. I need that. It's been a kind of a stressful time. And, you know, when I am in a difficult situation with somebody and I'm reacting with judgment instead of compassion, I'm just going to intensify the conflict. Yeah. You know, no doubt about it, man. Yeah. Um, there Even was a, though your every instinct would be, yeah, no, right. no, just double down. You yeah. can convince the I'm person. Right. <laughs> You're wrong. I am perfect. Right. You're flawed. Yeah, yeah. Just see things my way, yes, goddammit. That's it. right. If you would just be exactly like me, <laughs> what? That would be a nightmare. End yeah. of civilization. Right. <laughs> there was a monk on NPR, like, I don't know, two months ago or something, and they said, you know, you, you talk a lot about compassion. How do you practice compassion in traffic, right? Like, that's where we're all the most sociopathic, you know? And he's like, if somebody cuts me off in traffic, uh, say a guy cuts me off in traffic, I imagine that he's racing to the hospital where his partner is delivering a baby. Right. And I think, you know, having this imaginative capacity, that, that is tied into compassion of just imagining that, as you say, you don't know what that person's going through. You don't know. Maybe they're white knuckling it today. Maybe they just got bad news. Maybe they got fired. Maybe they got demoted. Maybe they're in pain, physical, right. physical pain. pain. You don't know. You can't. We see such a tiny fraction of, tiny the, of the totality fraction. of an ever shifting totality of an ever changing. So to think that we have any real grasp on ultimate reality, <laughs> I mean, it's nope. the height of <laughs> it's hubris. arrogance. Absolutely. Hubris, exactly. Yeah, so I, I am going to... Yeah, it's a great one. So, yeah. And it fits us, doesn't it? Yeah, sometimes? it does. Well, I think it, it, it fits the practicing alcoholic and the, and the recovering alcoholic equally, uh, just right. in different ways. Right. And it's something that we always have to keep an eye on. Yeah, so go forth with humility, compassion, and honesty, and you, you might have a chance. Right. I think that is the perfect send-off. So, uh, my friend Todd, thank you for being on brother my son, Brian. My honor, my pleasure. Your gift is all of our gifts. Thank you, brother. And uh, let's, let's do this again. Let's. All right. Bye. Bye, buddy.